Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I have a new Bible here, and sometimes it's not quite as anointed yet as the others. I can normally just flip my other one if I needed something, and it would just fall open to pretty much where I want it to be. In Romans chapter 1, I'm amazed how the Holy Spirit has a way of orchestrating services. I think this morning's altar time that the pastor felt led to call you to the altar was an impromptu thing. Is that correct, pastor? Uh, and I was thinking that was such a beautiful lead-in to what I wanted to talk with you about this morning. Because what I want to talk to you about, it's not the sermon, as I said, that I had originally intended to give you, but it's the one God gave me yesterday. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is evaluating the church. Evaluating the church with the emphasis on the article the. You know, there's only one church. It's not Baptist, it's not Pentecost, I mean, it's not uh, Assemblies of God, Church of God, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopal, whatever. There's one church of God. And there's one way to get into it. And that's by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can serve Him in a number of places. I think there's better places to serve Him than others, where you'll grow more in the Lord. But uh, there's one church, but we have to find our place within that. Now, what you have done, good or bad, didn't get you into the kingdom of God. Did not get you saved. Whatever your history was before that time didn't get you saved. After you get saved, the sins that you commit don't keep you saved. Or that you don't commit, they don't keep you saved. What keeps you saved is continuing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then thereafter, what you do and how you act depends upon your rewards in heaven. And as you well have been taught, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God, either the great white throne judgment to be judged for having rejected the Lord Jesus Christ plus all the sins that we committed for the degree of punishment, or we'll be standing at the Bema seat of Christ, which is the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus, not to be judged for sins, but to be judged for rewards. Even at worst, it's going to be a blessed time. The, the thief on the cross will be so happy that he made it in. Having become part of the body of Christ, the church of God, he's the head, we're the, we're the body. We're inextricably bound to him. Then we not only have... Uh, a right, but we have an obligation to evaluate the body of Christ. I've had to evaluate many times the body of Christ, and in finding a place to serve God, I've had to evaluate how they were how they were ministering what I what I saw in the scriptures. And God has led me from some from, through different fellowships, and you're this morning because uh, God has led you this way. Maybe you. Uh, come out of a different fellowship or a different background, but you're here this morning because the Holy Spirit drew you and you're searching. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord as Savior, there will be a point when you'll have an opportunity to accept Him. It's the best and the most important decision that you'll ever make. 
If you're here this morning and you're not sure, and there are some who aren't sure, some coming out of Roman Catholicism, they're not sure many times. There are others who aren't quite sure. Maybe they've had an experience, but they're not sure if they've truly been saved. You can know this morning. You can have that assurance. But God's got a discipleship message for you this morning. And we want to look at that. We want to look at evaluating the, uh, the church. Because we are called to evaluate the church. And we're going to look at some pleasant things this morning, and we're going to look at some unpleasant things. I wish I could tell you that everything I see in the church, or the church operating, are pleasant things. Sadly enough, they're not. Pleasant things. Many of them are self-serving things. Many of them are uh, self-indulgent. Bible talks about those who minister just to fill their own bellies. So we'll look at some of these areas this morning. Well, we're going to talk about evaluating the church. Now, with that in mind, in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 8, it says, Paul, so he's speaking to us, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember that. This is not a history book. It's written under the direct supervision of the Holy Spirit. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, parenthetically inserted now, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. God wanted you. He called you by name. Verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be a holy people. Holy people. When you act in a, you see, when you get saved, you're as righteous as you'll ever get. Nobody can make you any more righteous than when you say, God, forgive me for the sins that I've committed. I want you to save me. And I accept your Savior the way that you've made as my Savior. There's no other way except through Him that we can be saved. And when we accept Him, the past is washed away. We become new in Him. And we are from that moment called to be a holy people. So if we and when we commit sins, after we have become holy, it's not that we are conscious of the fact that we have smoked or drank or said an unrighteous or unholy word or thought an unholy thought that became sin, what happened inside of us is that we 
did not measure up to the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ that He had shown to us by revelation before. We were deficient in what we knew we should have been in Him. If I, I have the liberty to go down and take a, an alcoholic drink, why don't I do that? Because I don't think it's right for kings to drink. I don't think Jesus drank. And I'll contend with anybody who said that he drank alcoholic beverages. He did not do that. If, if, my, if, I, if something comes out of my mouth that's unholy, it's not that I said an unholy word. It's that I did not measure up to the divine confession that's built within me. I didn't say the holy thing. I didn't say the righteous thing. I am called to be a holy person. I am called to measure up to the light that God has given me, to the, to the revelation knowledge that God gives me. I'm striving for that. That's what you and I are striving for as believers, is to measure up to the stature of Christ. Not, not a, a, a word or, a, or an act or a deed. We, we diminish Him when we act contrary to holiness. We are called to be a holy people. And it says in the Scripture that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now we know that the faith was not spoken of throughout the whole globe. This world uh, that Paul was speaking about was basically the Roman world. Were there people in, in this, on this continent? Sure there were. There were Indians here and, uh, you know, and people coming from the Mongol race who crossed the land bridge from, from Europe from north, northwestern Europe. There were people in Australia who had drifted when the, when the, the, the uh, area was, was separated. He was speaking about this world. Now by analogy, what does that say to you and me? We, we are known by our faith and it's spoken of throughout your world. You can tag, you, you, you're going to be known for the, the faith that's spoken of in your world in the world that you operate within. Your sphere of influence. That's what he's speaking to us here. Now, with that, let me ask you a rhetorical question to answer within your own mind. What kind of a church, and this is what we're talking about evaluating a church. This would have been the title, but it's too long. What kind of a church, now think about this with your soul and your spirit. What kind of a church is it with which you wish to be associated? Have you ever asked yourself that? What kind of a church do I want to be, do I want to associate myself with? You know, you've only got a short time. You've only got a short time here. 70 or 80 years, 90 years, 100 years for some is an inextricably short amount of time. When you figure that we live, you know, in such a, a vast amount of God's creation, you realize in our galaxy alone, the light that traveling at 186,000 miles a, a second takes uh, 100,000 years to go from one side of our galaxy to the other. And we're just one of billions of billions of billions of galaxies. Hey, we're, we're here for a short time. We don't have time to waste. And our faith has to be known for us. So what type of a church is it that I want to be a part of? And this is called evaluating, it's part of evaluating the church. There's people I want to fellowship with. 
There's one of the things that I think God says to the church that we ought to be. I do, I, I do not accept the fact that there are people who discount and don't accept and, and preach against the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God is fully pleased with that. Can they be saved? Yes, I think they can. Will they be everything that God would have them to be? I don't think they can. Do I think that that's a necessary second endeavor in our life after salvation, subsequent to salvation? Yes, I do. I don't think you can ever be fully equipped as a, as a Christian without that experience to go forth. Now, you, you can save a, you can have a wonderful Christian life, live, live for God and go to be in heaven, but you, I feel it will never be a dynamic force against evil or witnessing for God except you go through that experience. It's there. You, we must have that. And, and my encouragement to the, to the body of Christ is seek that. Seek it. Don't, don't have a problem with it. Let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. Anything that's of God does nothing but edify. God has nothing for you except to bless you. We serve a blessing God. I want to be part of a church that gets as close as it, as close as it can to resembling what God says the church ought to look like. And I don't have a whole lot of time to waste my time with those who just, I don't want to use the church, uh, the term because it's been so dog-eared of playing church. But you know what I'm talking about. Ritualism, you know, symbolism. Same thing, the same way, service after service. Now, we start out with a plan for this service. I've got things I want God to say to you that He's given me. I, I work with a little outline. But if the Holy Spirit, if we get to a place in this and God wants to take a little side junket, we're, that's where we're going to go. Amen. You know, in, in Las Vegas, they don't have any clocks in the casinos. How many know that? Lift your hand. Don't get spiritual on me. Okay? They don't have any clocks. I think it's good that we don't have any clocks in the church. If we come in and God does what He wants to, in 20 minutes we've, we've done all right. If we come in and God moves and we stay two or three hours, if it's of God... You won't get tired. If you're in the Spirit, you won't get weary. There'll be no rebellion. It's God and we'll just have a wonderful time together. I'm not going to keep you one minute longer than what God tells me to, and I'm not going to quit one minute before God says you're not through yet. You see, because I have to answer to Him. Pastor invited me. Now it's my obligation and duty to give you what God has given me. So there, there's things about the church that, that I, want to, uh, I want to take a look at. I have to be constantly evaluating. Because I've had, as I said, I've had to leave churches. Uh, not out of anger. It took me a whole year one time to leave a church because I refused to leave a church with a problem. A pro you know, I'm not going to have a problem against the church and go out of there angry and mad. Uh, that's not pleasing to God. When God leaves us out, it'll be pleasing and we can't hurt and we can't wound in, in the process. But if we're growing and our church is not going with us, then we're forced to go where God is leading us to be fed. I used to go to my church years ago, and the pastor would preach, and I'd go in hungry and starving spiritually. 
And I'd sit there for an hour or so and I'd leave and I would be hungering and starving spiritually. But praise God, one day the Holy Spirit says, that's enough. That's enough. And strangely enough, I got it through the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a Baptist. God does that. And then He leads us on. So, uh, there are kinds of churches with which I want to be equipped. There are certain kinds of pastorates that I want to be equipped. Not everything that says I'm a pastor is a pastor. Not everybody who stands in the pulpit with pastor tag across their forehead is not a pastor. Pastors are called. Pastors are called. Word says some are sent and some just went. <laughs> I've seen people who wanted to get into the ministry because it looked good. Hey, you wear a tie all the time, you drive a pretty good car, it looks like you just sit in your office all day. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. Fact is, if you want to go into any kind of leadership in the body of Christ, you better pray. You better make sure it's God. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Anytime God puts you in front of people, especially the body of Christ, it's not so you can show your, your latest suit. It's not so you can show your linguistic ability. It's because God should have put something in your mouth to say that will edify and bless the people. And if, if anything happens here today, and you leave this place unedified, unfulfilled, two things have happened. Either you were not walking the Spirit, or I didn't, God didn't give me the right message. But I can tell you, God gave me the right message. You're going to leave here for something today. So there's, there's pastors and then there's pastors. Uh, then the pews are filled with people. I, I love to church serve God with, with people in the pew who love to serve God. Somebody asked a parachute just one time why, why, uh, why he liked to jump out of airplanes. He says, I hate to jump out of airplanes. The guy said, well, what in the world are you doing uh, in, in the paratroop corps? He said, well, I like to be around people who like to jump. And that's, that's kind of the way I am. I like this thing, but I like being around you. Because you see, every time I'm around you, I just tap into you. I, I, I came to you with, you know, with a need this morning. I, I need just a fellowship. I would, I would have come just a fellowship anyway if the pastor hadn't, you know, invited me to, to minister. I love that. So, there, there's things that we need to evaluate. Does a church have a vision? Does it have a vision? Is it going somewhere? Does it have an appearance of ministry? You can tell when something is moving in God. Because you can see God. God's not, He's not under a bushel. When light comes, darkness flees. When you come and serve with the body of Christ in a ministry, God is going to meet your needs. I think it was last time or time before last I was here when I made this statement, and I stand by it categorically. Uh, I'm so tired of watching TV and seeing some ministers that say, you know, soon God is going to. God is about to. And everybody goes, oh, hallelujah, right. I want to be someplace where God is now. Where He's doing it right now. Hey, if, I, if I'm hurting, I need deliverance right now. I need healing now, not tomorrow. Ask the Pharaoh, when you want these things to leave? Well, leave tomorrow. Have them leave tomorrow. You know, 
flies and the frogs and things. I, I just said, let's, let, let them be gone right now. I want ministry in action. I need to see that. Some churches are known for their worship and praise team, and I, I love yours. It blesses me. And if it's, uh, if it's of God, and there, there's been times in my own ministry when the praise team would start at mo- of praying and singing, and God, the Holy Spirit, would start moving, and we would never get to the, we would never get to the so-called message. And we, God would do everything He wanted in a, wor- in a praise and worship ceremony. We would pray and worship and praise, and then we would go home, and the pastor would never have gotten to speak. And it was glorious. It was wonderful. And I thank God for that. But that shouldn't be in every Sunday. I heard, I heard of uh, one instance where the, the praise team would praise and only give the pastor about five or six minutes to preach. Out of balance. Out of balance. Gifts are flowing. That's the thing today. You've got to have gifts. You've got to have a sign. If we have an altar call, everybody in the line has got to be slain in the Spirit. Well, God had moved. Wrong. Wrong. I, and there is something to that thing about knocking them down. There are people who try to do that. They don't feel that they... they you see, they got, if the person didn't slain in the Spirit, they feel that they have lost their dimension or something before the people. Hey. Healing in and of itself is progressive. A lot of people, I, I prayed for a person one night years and years and years ago for their ears to be open. No visible sign whatsoever of anything. But that person walking from the front door of the church to their car in the parking lot, the manifestation came. Hey, miracles are right now. Healings and deliverances sometimes take time to, to manifest. So some churches are known for their worth ethic, work ethic. Got to work it up. Got to have so many people on visitation. Got to have so many handbills. Got to do so many flyers. Got to do so many little, uh, oh, what are those little things you give out? Tracks. And those, those things are good, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're doing it for work's sake, you know, 20, 30 years ago, door-to-door visitation was, the, was kind of the way to go. Now you have to be very wise. Very wise. I wouldn't, I'd be careful how I sent people out anymore. Men, you know, not, not only women, but men. I'd be careful how I sent men out anymore. Because, you know, we've gotten a place now where I live. And people are people, sin is sin. You probably hear you have to use a lot of wisdom here, we men, when we go someplace. Now, if it's of God, we can walk right into the teeth of the devil. You know, it doesn't make any difference. But other than that, you have to, you have to walk in wisdom. Praise God, yeah. There's, there, there's a work ethic someplace. And some people are so planned and programmed down. And I've seen those. They, they go from one program and one plan right into another plan and program. And it's built up around that. Not the moving of the Holy Spirit, because we're here we're talking about superficial hype in these areas. Superficial. I don't want superficial. I want God. I want, to, I, want to, I want to know it's God. I want to feel the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, you know, it's just goose pimply Pentecostalism. No, I like goose pimples. I like spiritual goose pimples. I like to feel God on my, on my flesh. 
In my soul, in my spirit, absolutely. But I like to feel God. I like those. I like spiritual goose pimples. I like spiritual tears. Let me tell you the prettiest thing. I, I don't know if I've shared this or not. I've been with you so much. But the prettiest thing I've ever seen in a church. I was pastoring in the Midwest. And I was in the pulpit, and it was on a Sunday morning. And we had altar benches across there, and they were maple type of benches and they had a windows over here long windows and I had just started to get into the message and I looked down on the altar and gleaming in the sun that was streaming through the windows on the altar was a single tear a single tear and that that thing has the fact is if I can ever get an artist who can do it justice if I can just explain it to them enough I want them to paint that that thing moved me so much and I have never lost that vision. Because that, that single tear spoke volumes to me about the heart that put that there. You don't do that at the altar. Out of show. Right? Hallelujah. No. Now, I love programs and I like worship and praise. I truly do. But let me tell you also that nothing ever must supersede the preaching of the gospel. And I did not say teaching. I said preaching of the gospel. Teaching is meant to disciple. Preaching is meant to reach down into our spirit and into our soul and, and force us to deal with anything that's not holy. It's by the foolishness of preaching it says in 1 Corinthians one twenty one, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. If you want to use the word deliverance there, it'll fit perfectly. That's why people get, normally get saved in preaching services. More than disciple services. Because that's what it's designed to do. It... Preaching is the foremost thing. Titus 1.3 says, God hath in due times manifested His Word through preaching. Now, why, why do I say this? Because about 99% of what you see today is teaching ministry. Can you witness to that? You look at TBN or any of the other ministries, and, and most all of them have gone into the teaching room. Now, play, praise God for that. But does that also explain to you why the body of Christ is so anemic? It's anemic. It's weak. It doesn't look like it should. It doesn't sound like it should. It doesn't think like it should. The Bible tells us that we should think the same way. We should speak the same way. We should have the same inference. We should have the same thrust. Will you do it a little differently? Yes, God will use your personality. But the basic intent will be the same way. We'll have the same emphasis for God Himself to fashion you and the body of Christ. You see, you're not just an individual who comes to be with other individuals for, for, to have a service. Let's forget about that. You're part of the body of Christ that can't be divided. 
you're, you're here for fellowship, but you can't be divided from the body of Christ. There's nothing can, can divide you at all. I think about the temple. When they were putting together the temple, it says the temple, they, they hewed out the stones in a quarry, and the masons fashioned those things outside of the temple. And it says not a, ha a sound of a hammer was heard in the land. But when they brought them in, they set them right in place. And they were so perfectly fashioned that you couldn't even, and you can't today, you can't even get a knife blade between them. Because they are inextricably bound. They didn't need any mortar. There's, there's a teaching that says that Titus dis dismantled the temple looking for the gold mortar and that was mixed in the mortar. No, no, no. He just did that out of anger by, by being used of Satan. But you and I are so bound that Satan should never be able to get a wedge between Terry and Linda and me. As we serve God, there should be never be a place where he can find an area of, to divide us. He, he says, that's what it talks about. He says, let him find no place. You say, well, that, you know, how about others? Well, how about me? Well, you are a spiritual house built of spiritual stones. God's fashioning you every day. God's putting another stone in place every day in your life. This service, you will leave here today with one or more stones in place that you had when you came. In some services, entertainment is the order of the day. Entertainment. They're, they're, you know, it's done for just to, to satisfy the flesh. Teens have to have their entertainment. The senior citizen have to have their entertainment. I really don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like the waste of senior citizens' talent. What a wealth of talent sits in the pew unused in, in the senior citizens. All that knowledge and wisdom. And then in the teens, some play, well, our teens say, you know, we're going to send them over to the next building, they're going to play basketball or football, and then somebody will give them a sermon. They, they, they don't need basketball and football. They've got enough of basketball and football and soccer. They've got enough of social time outside. They need the Word of God. Try to keep a kid out of school until they're ready to go to college. And all you'll send is an ignorant person to be with people who are learned. Our, our teens and our young people need the Word. They need to be founded in the Word. Because they're going to be meeting a harsh environment. They're going to be in a hostile environment. And they need to know what God can do with them. What God says about who they are. What the promises of God is for them. The Roman church to whom Paul was speaking this was known for its faith. It was not known for its signs and wonders. Because the Bible says an evil generation seeks after signs and wonders. Are signs and wonders good? Yes. Do they serve a purpose? Yes. Do they disciple? No. They don't contribute anything at all to your discipleship. This may sound self-serving, and I don't mean it to be. You have to believe that I'm an honest person. 
I walk in divine healing better, more than anybody that I know. Now, maybe you do too. I don't know. But I do that. This flesh is kept by the Word of God. I'm div God divinely heals me many times. I, I can't think of a day since, well, in, in the last probably 25, 30 years, 25-ish years, that I have not been healed every day of something. It may have been something minor. It may have been something major. It may have been something I had prayed for and I got the manifestation of it that day. But every day God does a work of healing and deliverance in me. And I don't say, you know, from any pompostic statement, you please believe that. I'm just saying that to give glory to God that He works in that area. And he, he'll, he'll keep you. And you don't have to seek for the sign. God will manifest Himself. And I believe this too, as, as you serve God and God moves in your life and you serve God and God moves in your life and you and you and you and you and we come together as a body, what happens here changes lives. If what goes on within the side of these four walls do not produce changed lives, something is wrong. And I would want to move on, but I know it goes on here. Because I know the leadership and I've seen you ministry and I, and I know the heart of this church. That's why I would recommend you. And I wouldn't just recommend any church to you. At my desk in Jacksonville, we have a, a million people plus now. And I told somebody the other day, you couldn't sling a cat, or that's a southern term, you couldn't throw a cat without almost hitting a church. And sometimes people will call me for, to, to re be recommended for a church to which they can go. Now, the church that, that I'm in can't meet the needs of everybody because of our current structure. And when I try to find a place to, to recommend somebody, because I know most of the ministries in that town, I have a very difficult time recommending somebody to a ministry. And what a, what a, what a, statement against the body of Christ. And that's the kind of things that hurts. If, you're, if you care about discipleship, I've seen the hype. I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it. Had it. Been seen it. Done it. Don't want it anymore. I want God. And I want to be around people who want God. And I want to be attached to things. I don't have time for the other. But I don't have to worry about that. They, they don't normally have much to do with me anyway. You know, and they want you. It's not me. They want you. you when you get serious about God, people will know it. They'll know it. When God start, when you start walking in the Spirit, you don't have to tell people. They will, you cannot hide holiness. You can't hide holiness. And it produces changed lives when we come together in the body of Christ. If this church, if this service this morning does not produce a change in your life, then something somewhere failed. It failed someplace. Because God is constantly changing you and me. You see, 
you never, you don't get saved and immediately go into a spiritual plateau where you are forever. And some believe that, you know. We have denominations who teach once you get saved, you've got everything of God you can get. Now just go out there and don't try to, you know, don't tr just try to be good. You can't do it. You can't live this life outside of Christ. But the beautiful thing about it is once we get saved, God takes us from glory to glory to glory to glory into infinity. His storehouse never runs dry. It's never empty. It talks about that there is stored up for you in heaven treasures with your name on it. You say, well, I'll be glad when I get to heaven and I can enjoy that. Wrong. Wrong. You need it now. You need the finances now. You need the power now. You need the authority now. You need to hear about binding and loosing now. That changed my life when I heard about Bonnie and Lucy. It was, a different, it was a different world to me. Then God had to kind of rein me in because I started looking for Satan. And you don't have to do that. You just serve God and be holy and you'll... He'll be there. Thank you, Terry. You don't have to worry about Him. Let me tell you how Satan works. I'm convinced that I have never had to fight Satan. And most probably you haven't either. Why? Because we're kind of little fish. Our sphere of influence isn't that great. So when you got saved and you were as I was and you were kind of ignorant of a lot of things, and a lot of people in the body of Christ can't be told that they're ignorant. They get all seized up if you tell them they're ignorant. Well, if you don't know something, you're ignorant. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you're ignorant. That's, that's not a derogatory term. It's just that I find that when wisdom comes, you're no longer ignorant of that. You can apply it. So when you get saved and you're ignorant of who you are in Christ, you don't know your rights, you don't know the authority of the believer, Satan can trot out one of the little demons and, and they'll give you a battle. But when you come into revelation knowledge, you start learning who you are in God, he has to upgrade the demon. And pretty soon you find yourself fighting some formidable foes. But praise God... The battle is yours, because greater is He that's within you. Praise God. I go into every battle knowing that it may be a battle, but the war is already won. I like that. I like knowing that the battle is, is already fashioned to my favor. That God's already doing some work in that area. And it produces changed lives. In, in other people, a lot of times we see these things, we say, well, I sure wish sister so-and-so, or brother, I wish you'd get right, you know, with <laughs> God. And all the time is, I ought to be right. Sometimes if, if I get right, my influence might get him right, in my eyes. If I'm waiting for somebody else to get right, I'm not praying for them as I should. I'm not hurting for them as I should. As I said, we are the body of Christ. You can't tell where you end and I begin. And that's perfectly true. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful ceremony in a husband and a wife. After you've been, well, actually, when you're, immediately when you're married, you can't tell where you end and your wife begins. Pretty soon you start, after a few time together, you get to where you don't have to really say anything. 
You can communicate without saying anything. Some guys haven't talked to their wife in years. <laughs> you, know, you know what I was thinking. <laughs> no, I, have you ever thought about uh, how Satan... No, Satan can't read your mind, okay? Satan can't read your mind. He, he can only out... And his, his, well, actually, his, his force, you always deal with his force mainly anyway. He, he's, he's too busy with the Copelands and the Hagans and the, and the Billy Grahams and people like that, you know. He doesn't worry about a little peon like me. He sends, he's up, had to upgrade some of his, you know, some of his troops. I've had to divert some of his troops. But uh, a lot of times we don't fight the big boys. Have you ever wondered how Satan can sometimes know what you're thinking? <clears throat> or appears to know what you're thinking. They tell me that, that our body gives off electrical impulses that can be transferred into radio waves that can be picked up if you have the right receiver. See, in this room right now, there's TV signals, there's radio signals, there's microwave. People are talking all the time on phones while we're doing this. We're just not on the right wavelength, right? But Satan operates in, a, uh, in some areas that we don't operate within. The Bible talks us about that. He can't use those against us, the Bible says, but he knows about those things. So sometimes if his demons are, are so close, it, it just may be that that's how they're picking up some of your thought waves. That's why I believe that when you... Now, I believe this. I know that when you pray in tongues, that's, uh, Satan can't understand what that is, and it drives him crazy. He, he can't know that. Because the Bible says if we, in that we speak mysteries. That alone would be enough for you to go through the baptism of the Holy Spirit just so you can have a prayer language where you can pray more directly to God and you know without going through your mind. But I do believe this. I believe when you pray to God, I think God just puts a muffle on His ears and you can't hear it anyway. I believe that. I don't have any Scripture for it. I do have Scripture for the other. I just heard that not too long ago, and that, that blessed me. That kind of gives an, a reason, you know, why sometimes you think, why did I get that thought? I was praying, and where did that thought come from? I'm driving my car, and everything uh, is, is wonderful, and all of a sudden I have this heinous thought. And some people, having done that, they oh, I'm just a worm now. Oh, God, you can't love No, 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 no. Thoughts are not sin. If you look, if you look a little bit too long, and you, you know, at some point it turns sin. But but up until that point, it's just a it's just a temptation. It's just being drawn away. But if if you're walking in the holiness, if you're evaluating who you are in the church and the body of Christ, when you get to that place, all of a sudden God says, "Come on." And if you cross the line, don't stay there. Just say, God, forgive me. In Jesus' name, I missed it. And, all, and just that quickly, God has forgotten the thing. He's not going to remember it anymore. Now, the next most important thing in your discipleship is for you to forget it too and go on. Some people are carrying baggage around for years and years and years that things that God forgave years ago and they're still carrying that around with them. Get free of it. If you've confessed it in sin and asked God to forgive it, it's gone. Don't quit beating yourself with that spiritual stick. 
That's, that's working and God's not pleasing to God. Repentance is, is sin. People come out of Catholicism want to do penance. Well, can I tell you, anytime you do penance, that's work. And work is sin. Forgiveness is just that quick by saying, God, forgive me. You don't have to work at this thing. You just have to yield to the Lord. It's process. We're talking about processing this morning. Just like they take a fish out of the river and they run him through a, a processing and when he comes out, he's in a can labeled. You're in a processing. You're not, you know where you were last week. You're not where you're going to be next week if Jesus tarries. You're processing. God's got something for you today. That's why. Do you know why I asked the men to, to stand a moment ago? Because if the men aren't strong, the family's not strong. And if the men aren't strong in this ministry, 